0: to Matthew chapter 25. Now I will do this for the sake of time and Brother Rob I'm just going to go ahead and start into the message here uh, and that is this is a very long story and so um, I'm going to highlight it goes from verse 14 to verse 30 and so uh, because we're getting a late start most of you know this story but I'm just going to sort of highlight it so we'll read it and I'll tell you some details and uh, if you want to make sure that I'm telling the truth you're, you're free to read it to yourself as we go but um, Matthew 25 verse 14 Jesus says for the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods and unto one he gave five talents to another two and to another one of course this is money he's talking about to every man, according to his several abilities, straightway took his journey. All right, so the Lord travels to a far country, and it's not the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. This is master, the master of these servants. So this is a wealthy man who has servants, and whose job it is, those servants' job, is to be the steward of the master's possessions, the steward of his wealth. And so uh, he's, going, he's going on a trip. And before he goes, he, he takes some of his wealth, and he gives one servant five talents. He gives another servant two. And it says each man according to his several abilities. So in other words, he thought this servant will do well with five talents, and this servant will do well with two talents, and this servant will do well with one talent. So it's, it's the level, not, not just the level of his trust in that servant, but also his knowledge of what that servant can do, you've had people before that uh, in in some area, maybe your own children, that uh, you know I can trust. Maybe my oldest with this job, but uh, maybe the, a younger child uh, they don't they don't have as much experience. So they they're good, they're diligent, but they I better give them a lesser job. That, that's basically what's going on here. So verse twenty, uh, I'm sorry, verse sixteen. He that had received the five talents went and traded with the same. He used the five talents to trade and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that had two, he also gained other two. But he had received one, went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. So he that had received five talents came and brought five other talents and uh, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. So he doubled his master's money. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Let me point out to you that this well done, this is where we get it from. In this context, this is the only place in the Bible where it is used in the context of the master saying, "Well done so we talk about you know when i when i i'm sorry when I appear before God and he says well done this is this is where this is the place that we get it from right here and so uh he said, "Well done, thou good and faithful servant, thou' hast been faithful over a few things i'll make thee rule over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy lord and then in the f- verses that follow the one with two talents, the same thing happened, same exact thing. He had doubled his money, and the master says, well done. Then, verse 24, then he which had received the one talent came, and he starts hem-hawing and talking, Lord, I knew that thou art a hard man, and yada, yada. He had this big, long philosophy that he had developed. Verse 25, I was afraid, went and hid thy talent. His Lord, verse 26, answered and said unto him, thou wicked and slothful servant. Thou knewest, by the way, I, I don't know if maybe he was expecting him to say, Well, you know what? That's a good thought. I never thought of it that way before. No. He said, thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest, therefore, to have put my money to the exchangers. See, the, the, the servant blamed it on fear. He said, I was afraid. And the Lord said, if you were really afraid, it should have driven you to put it to work like your co-workers did. Verse 28, therefore, take the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto every one that hath shall be given, he shall have abundance. But for him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, I'm being very transparent with you here in that I am not an expert on Bible interpretation. Okay, I'm not, uh, you may not even know what Bible interpretation means but uh, I will just tell you that my first inclination in any passage is to simply take the word of God literally and at face value. Now there are those, and I respect them, and, and uh, there there are well there are people called dispensationalists, and I am a dispensationalist. Though I got to tell you, I'm not highly educated in it. But uh, there are men beyond dispensationalists that, that you would uh, that would be called hyper dispensationalists, where they almost almost as if god is character is different in different ages now i don't go there and if that is really what they believe then uh, then, then that's uh, to me that's very very unscriptural but uh, i just have to be honest with you that i am not uh highly uh educated i'm not highly educated on anything but there are areas of the bible that i know pretty well i am not well versed in the matters of dispensation and the book of Matthew is one of the books in the Bible that is most highly contested when dispensationalists want to say, now wait a second, uh, because Matthew was written to the Jews uh, and presented Jesus as the King of the Jews. And that's very clear, very evident. But so there, but there's sometimes in the book of Matthew, you're not Go much farther in this, but I just want you to understand. There's some times in the book of Matthew where a dispensationalist will tell you, man, you're just absolutely making the wrong application there. And uh, this may be, frankly, one of those parables. So I'm not going to go into what I don't know tonight. Saying, Pastor, are you telling me you don't know something? Yeah, isn't it amazing? I, just, I don't know. There's something I don't know. But uh, no, I'm not well versed and some people could stand up here and say, oh, let me tell you exactly what's going on here. Let me tell you exactly the application. I could not do that. There's a lot of things about this parable that the application of it I really couldn't answer for you, like the part about cast him into outer darkness. Well, that's not saying that, that he was saved and now he's lost. Well, obviously, it's not saying that because the Bible doesn't teach that. But I be honest, I couldn't tell you the context of the application. I'm just being frank with you. So... What I can do, I may not be able to tell you the precise application of everything that's going on in this parable, but I can tell you what the parable says. And so, whatever else is going on here, prophetically and dispensationally and so forth, whatever else is going on here, let me tell you what is absolutely... Accurate. And if we're going to take the words well done thou good and faithful servant and use them in any way in our lives then these observations have to matter. They have to be applicable. So what I'm going to show you in just a few minutes it's not even seven yet and we're not going to go really much farther time wise. But what I'm going to show you simply is the contrast. However this applies to us what I'm about to show you is of necessity absolutely true. Just contrast, all right? Look at this. I want you to notice that the men, uh, here's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at tonight the difference between the men who heard well done and the man who did not. That's all we're going to learn, okay? The difference between the men who heard well done and the man who did not. Because listen, I want to hear well done. I want to hear God say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I am not the one to assess whether I am going to or not or whether you are going to or not. But I can show you what the Bible says is the difference between those who, in this story, the two men who heard well done and the one man who did not. First of all, the men who heard well done took action while the man who did not hear well done had created a philosophy to support his inaction. So I want to be a Christian who takes action with what God has given me. Instead of someone who develops a philosophy that justifies my inaction. Let me give you an example of philosophy that justifies inaction. When William Carey was a Baptist pastor in England, he went to a Baptist pastor's fellowship meeting. William Carey was a shoemaker, but he was also a Baptist pastor, and in his shop, He had a map of the world, just like our map of the world out there. He had a, well, probably not just like it. We got that at Ikea, and I'm not sure they had Ikea in 1700s in England. But anyway, he, he had a... I was just about to tell you a dumb, dumb story. I'm going to abstain, all right? Uh, it had to do with the relationship between Ikea and the car maker, Kia, and my misunderstanding about it, and it's really foolish, and you would really know how stupid I am if I told it. So anyway, let's continue. He had a map of the world, and as he worked, he would look at that map. And this really happened. You can can. a very well-known story. So... William Carey went to a pastor's fellowship meeting, and the the pastor up in the they're all Baptist pastors, and the they sort of opened it up to questions. And William Carey, Baptist pastor, shoemaker, man in his twenties, map of the world in his uh, shop, raised his hand. He said, "Um, there's so much of the world that does not have the gospel." Do we know for sure that God does not want us to take the gospel to heathen nations? And the moderator just got downright snippy. He said, sir, if God wanted to take the gospel to heathen nations, he doesn't need you to do it their whole philosophy and they really believe this that if god wanted the gospel to go out in the 18th century as it did in the 1st century he would send another pentecost to let them know so they had built this facade of doctrine to support their their inaction i'm saying to you that's one of the one example of many that we could give of structures of teaching that that sprinkle Bible in there. Structures of teaching that support in action. But I say to you, whatever's going on in Matthew 25, the men who heard well done were men who took action with the talents that God gave them. I'm sorry, with that the Lord gave them. The man who did not hear well done had created a philosophy to support his inaction. Let me give you another contrast between the two. The men who heard well done used their talents presumably to their full potential. The Bible doesn't say that they use them to their full potential. In other words, a guy traded on five talents and got five talents more, maybe he could have used his five talents to to triple the Lord's money and come back with 50. I don't know. But it seems like Trading five to get five, you've used your talents to their full potential, so I'm going to make that assumption that the men who heard well done used their talents to their potential. How many of you would be happy if you could invest your money and, and double your money, even though I think it was, maybe Ben Franklin has said the best way to double your money is to fold it in half and just put it in your pocket, but... The man who used, I'm sorry, the man who heard well done used their talents to their full potential. The man who did not hear well done hid his talent. Let me me just say this. I want you to understand up front, I do not waste my time trying to figure out what other people are doing and why. First of all, that's not fair. I have no idea what's going on in your life. I have no business condemning what you do or why you're doing it. So what I'm about to say does not apply to individuals. I am talking about a general concept. I have never understood the concept of Christians, well, people in general, who are willing to be spectators. I've never understood the concept of the priest and the Levite who passed by the man who had been beaten and just sort of looked on them as they walked by. Oh, that's a shame. Oh, somebody somebody ought to do something about that poor guy. I've never understood that. And probably that's because I was raised by parents who are not content to, to do nothing. But spectator Christians, the concept doesn't make sense to me. But you know what? Most of Christianity is a spectator Christianity. Our church is not a spectator church. We do stuff. We may not be the most talented. We may not be the the, uh, smartest. We may not be the wealthiest. We may not even be the most effective in the Lord's work, but we nobody with any fairness can say that we're a do-nothing church. We're not spectators. And... The men who heard well done, they, they used their talents or the potential. The man who did not hear well done hid his talent. It was the Sunday after youth conference this year, and the bus was not running that Sunday, and so various things were going on. And, uh, so I, I preached kind of a mean sermon that Sunday morning. About, uh, you know, all over Danbury, there's Christians who are enjoying a lot of fun. I've gotten some flack over that message, and that's fine because I meant every word I said and I stand by every word I said. But you want to make people angry. You want to make Christians angry. You just remind them that God didn't save them to do nothing. You want to make Christians mad. Tell that story. From the book of Haggai. Maybe Habakkuk. 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 That's why I said when I was eight years old. Flashback, throwback Sunday night. Uh Habakkuk. <laughs> Scratch that from, <laughs> running at from the tape. Um Habakkuk. Um I believe it's Haggai, actually, but anyway. Where the children of Israel had come back from uh captivity to build the house of the Lord to build the house of the Lord I hear pages turning you're checking for me huh? Haggai, alright, very good so I said have a cuck for nothing Um, came back from captivity to build the house of the Lord why'd they come back from captivity? so as long as they were there oh hey as long as we're here let's build our houses too And all of a sudden, they came to some roadblocks that prevented them, they said, legally from building the house of the Lord. They couldn't get permits, zoning problems. Oh, that's a shame. So what's the solution? Let's stay and build our houses. And the preacher came and he said, whoa, whoa. Everybody's walking around saying... Isn't it a shame we can't build the house of the Lord? Isn't it a shame? Isn't it a shame about the temple? Isn't it a shame about the project? Isn't it a shame it's not working out? But the preacher said, Hey, your houses are looking pretty good. Your living room's looking pretty nice. And then he got kind of mad. He said, God didn't bring you back here to build your house. And you want to get some Christians mad. Tell that story and remind them God didn't give you your ability so you could get rich. You know, the story of Dr. Russell Anderson, you may or may not know his story and I'm not going to tell it, but Dr. Anderson wanted to be, he was a very successful businessman. He will tell you himself he was dumb as a brick, but he was a very successful businessman. And um, he... Wanted to go to, he wanted to preach the gospel. He got saved. He came into contact with, with uh, the idea of soul winning and church building. And he said, You know what? And he's still, I think, in his late 20s, early 30s, I want to be a preacher. And he, he went to Dr. Jack Hiles and he said, Because he was one of the men who influenced him, and he said, I want to be a preacher. What do you think I should do? And Brother Hiles said, um, he said you want to serve the Lord. He said yes. He said do you specifically be, feel called to be a preacher? He said no, but I want to. He said I want to sell off my businesses. I want to get out of business and I want to become a preacher. He said if you don't believe you're called to be a preacher, he said you keep on making money and give your money to the Lord's work. And and he did. So so Russell Anderson ch- changed his business philosophy so that the primary recipient of his wealth would be the Lord's work. I don't mean he got rich and threw a few dollars at the Lord's work. I mean the, his, his business, the purpose of his business was to finance the Lord's work. And I'm talking about millions, tens of millions, and I would guess into the hundreds of millions of dollars. And, he would, and he's not the only man who's ever done that. There was a a man, I believe he heavily financed, Billy Graham, if I'm not mistaken, um, named Laterno in Texas, that decided that uh, he was going to, instead of making God live off 10%, he was going to give God 90%, and he was going to live off the 10 So it's not a, a, a totally unheard of concept. All right, well, why did I bring that up? Because we've had two different men in the history of our church that announced to me that I'm going to be the next Russell Anderson. What they meant was, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to get rich in the Lord's name. But not intending to finance the Lord's work. And I would say... To you, in case that thought ever comes into your head, listen, God's work needs some people who know how to build businesses and pump money. Do you know, the two great lacks in the ministry are always money and manpower. (laughs) When I was at um, House Anderson in October, I was teaching church education. I forgot to tell you about this goof because it's a big one. I was teaching a class of, uh, I don't know how many students were in there 60, 70, I'm guessing, young men preparing to be pastors. And uh, I was going to make that statement I just made. Fellas, you just better understand that if you're going to be in the ministry, you're always going to lack manpower and money. But it didn't come out that way. I said, uh, fellas, you better understand something. If you're going to be in the ministry, you're always going to run short of manhood. <laughs> and, yeah, that, uh, that was a fail. But it's the truth. You have to come to grips with the fact that you're never going to have enough money to do what what the Lord calls you to do. You're never going to have enough manpower. And you're always going to have to figure out how to make it work. Why is that? that? That is not an indictment of God. That is an indictment of God's people. Because God puts money in our pocket and all of a sudden we go, oh, I got money in my pocket. Now I can play. And as I said in that message back in July, and that's why we're always operating 22-year-old buses. That bus up there that we're trying to figure out what to do with it now, it's off the road. 22 years old. And even this, I mean, wow, big improvement. This is awesome. This one's 12 years old. No, no, we can't go buying $150,000 buses. I'm not suggesting that we should. But I'll tell you what. If God's people realize God gave me my talents to invest in His work, maybe we could run late later model buses. Um, I'm not pushing for that. I'm simply illustrating the men who heard "Well done" used their talents to their potential. The men who did not hear "Well done" hid his talent. All right, I am. I got to move here because I've taken too much time already. Third, third contrast: the men who heard "Well done" had something to show when their Lord returned. The man who did not hear well done had nothing to show when his Lord returned. When when, when the Lord left, he said, here's your talent. And when the Lord traveled and came back, the other guy said, here's what you gave me and the same amount over again. But the guy with the one talent said, "Uh, here's what you gave me. I took good care of it. And, hey, going back to that same message where I talked about churches all over Danbury. You wouldn't believe how many times I've driven by churches and told the Lord. Lord, we have people on top of people on top of people on Sundays. And that church has empty rooms all through it every Sunday. Building after building after building. And, by the way, God will do something about it when he's ready. I'm not complaining. I'm just letting them know that, that I know and then pr- and praying about it. But you know, we've got we've got I think Christian people, I think Christian people who, you know, oh, they gave it to me. I remember we tried before we before we uh, merged with Heritage Bible Church. We worked, I worked for a couple of years on a on a building with a 350-seat auditorium, classroom space, galore. And a little congregation of seven people who were just hiding their talent. Oh, they were all just, oh, no, we don't need to have our building, our building. And all their relatives that were buried out there in that cemetery, like that was going to matter to them. And by the way, I just drove by there about a week ago and sat there and prayed and said, Lord, is nothing ever again going to happen in this building? What are they doing? They're hiding their talent. And when the Lord comes here, we kept it. We took good care of it. Those are the three contrasts. Now, let's wind it up. Let me show you what they received. Let me contrast for you what they received. The three, I'm sorry, the two who doubled their Lord's money heard good and faithful servant. The other guy heard wicked and slothful servant. The first two guys were given greater opportunity. He said, man, if you guys are good at this, then let me put you in charge of this. Listen, I don't know all of what it's going to be like in heaven. Obviously, none of us does. And as I said before, I don't feel the authority to say that this directly applies to heaven. You say, you should know that, Pastor. I know I should, but I don't know everything yet. I don't, uh, some, some men would tell you this is heaven, some men would tell you that this is the millennial kingdom. But I have to read this and I have to believe that there is going to be, and I do believe this, opportunity in heaven. We don't think that, we think it's just clouds and harps and halos. I believe there's going to be opportunity in heaven. God is a God of, of, of ambition, spiritual ambition, but ambition, doing stuff. He's a God of purpose, and I have to believe that we will have a purpose, and the privilege and the opportunity that we have will be based on what we did here. And why should God give you... Listen. I'm going to say this, I'm not poor-mouthing, I'm not whining, I'm just telling you how it is if you're in the Lord's work. People who think that we're supposed to live to make money, people who think we're supposed to live for fame, people who think that we're supposed to live for the world's applause, oh, oh, look at your credentials, they do not take the Lord's work seriously. And you have to be okay with that. You have to learn to say, hey, I understand because I have eternal perspective, they do not. But if they're Christians, they're going to get to heaven and they're going to think because they were such superstars on earth, man, I got all the world's credentials. They thought I was awesome because our university had a football team and they let our football team play with the real guys. So we must have been awesome. And God's going to say, no, no, we don't care about football teams here. Well, we care about what you do with the talents I gave you on earth. God's more excited about what he saw today at 44 Spring Street than he is about Christian organizations that get the world's accolades. God's not into that. Greater opportunity versus he lost what he had. And the last thing of all, last contrast, we're all finished. The first two had the joy of the Lord. The last guy had weeping and gnashing of teeth. I said all that tonight to say one thing. Today, you invested your talents. Now, for whatever it's worth to you, (laughs) your pastor could not be more pleased and proud of you. Every last person that participated. But more importantly, you will have something to show. For all that you do, Sunday school, soul winning, Uh, the ministry involvement, your giving, your your, your faithfulness, your testimony for the Lord. And every time, all the Sunday dinners and so forth that you participate in, you will have something to show when the Lord returns. I, I pray that that blesses your heart. Let's stand together tonight.